0: This podcast is brought to you by the future of service lane technology, GoMoto. If you're ready to experience increased revenue, happier customers, and a more efficient service lane, then it's time to partner with GoMoto. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G O M O T O.com.
1: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer 20% off a one year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash Daily Drive promo to redeem. Welcome to this Weekend Drive edition of Daily Drive for the fourth week in February 2024. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today, we're breaking down some of the
2: biggest stories in the auto industry from the past week and looking forward to what's in store in the days ahead. On today's show, we'll take a deeper look at Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares' vision to make electric vehicles profitable with our own Hannah Lutz.
3: Many of the automakers, including Stellantis, are getting very involved with the battery, making sure it's the chemistry they want and that it's filled with abundant materials. so They won't be in a position where they're running out of a, a key material that they need or it's becoming too expensive.
2: That's coming up in a few minutes. But first, Jamie, welcome to the weekend. Thanks, Kel. So up first, the Biden administration says it's easing its yearly requirements when it comes to propose the us. tailpipe rules through 2030. Is this Jamie, the way the government should have gone about this to begin with? because back in April of 2023,
1: they were very aggressive about this: They were very aggressive, and there were a few automakers pushing back, others pushing in, in other ways a little less directly we've seen Auto dealers start to really rally against these rules. They're worried that you know EV sales growth had looked it was really rapid. It's still growing pretty fast, but uh, definitely hitting some headwinds as uh, with affordability as interest rates have gotten higher. and just meeting up with some of the challenges of today's EV market, and it's really hard to project what the future is going to be. So, you know, the industry has been pushing back. I think the the EPA, you know, bureaucrats were trying to figure out what do we have to do to slow global warming? And especially if all the technologies come to pass, like this thing could happen really fast, but it might not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they set a really idealistic goal. Uh, the industry is pushed back. The administration is trying to find a middle ground. We don't really know where they're going to come down yet. Uh, it may still be something that's going to be super challenging for the industry to meet, uh, but I'm sure the industry, I'm sure the automakers, the dealers, the auto workers, everybody is appreciative that uh, they're getting a little leeway and and maybe some targets they think they can actually hit.
2: So this is one of those scenarios, Jamie, where the government actually listened to their audience. Go figure. Right. Uh, Jamie the first 55 days of the year for Ford have been let's say challenging they almost had a strike at their most profitable plan in Kentucky they're trying to get 2023 models of Mach-E's off their hands by cutting prices after sales tumbled 51% in January with all that said how does the blue oval keep its head
1: above water for the next 10 months. Well, main thing they've got is uh, the trucks, right? Uh, the EVs are big money losers, but they make a lot of money on pickups and SUVs. Uh, they're just starting to ship the 2024 F-150s. You know, that is the bread and butter. That is the core model for Ford brand. And, uh, you know, they have a refreshed version and they're going to be pumping those out as hard as they can and trying to get those to dealers and and get them sold and that's what really funds the whole EV business, right? That's the, that's the idea here with especially GM and Ford. Make the money on the big trucks so that they can invest it in money losing EVs until the EVs can break even. It's a tough business. Gotcha.
2: And also Rivian is cutting its workforce by 10% and they lost $5.4 billion in 2023. They would like to be profitable by later this year. But Jamie, with the slowdown of the U.S. EV market, what will the startup EV companies like Rivian and Lucid have to do to survive? Will the market slowdown weed out the flashes in the pan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's weeded out some of the, the SPAC startups, you know, that were really not very well funded for the epic uh, journey it is for EVs to get profitable. Like I said, with Ford and GM, they make the money on pickups and SUVs that can fund their EV development. For the EV-only companies, it's a lot tougher. Rivian and Lucid both have really big backers. Uh, Lucid is backed by the Saudi uh, Private Investment Fund. Uh, Rivian is backed predominantly by Amazon. So a lot of uh, deep pockets and opportunities for these companies. But, you know, to get from the money losing startup phase up to the breaking even and then making a lot of money. I mean, it's just it's hard and it takes time. I think, you know, Rivian has to really watch every penny, keep only the people that they need to keep as they try to build their company, because you never know when your big investor might lose patience or not be able or willing to fund the billions it takes. You know, Tesla had to raise $14 billion after their IPO before they got to profitability. Now they make a ton of money. And staying on the topic of EVs coming
2: up, Stellantis CEO, Carlos Tavares, has some big ideas about electric vehicles. Automotive News electrification reporter, Hannah Lutz, joins us to talk about the path forward for EVs and what hurdles are in the way for greater adoption. That's next on Weekend Drive.
0: We get it, your service drive gets busy. Your advisors have a lot of responsibilities and sometimes your customers end up waiting around for help. If you could ease these challenges and enhance everything about your service drive, why wouldn't you? It's time to reduce your customers' check-in time using QR codes or mobile apps. It's time to give them the convenience they crave, with the ability to pick up or drop off at any time of day. It's time to increase your service lane's revenue by offering upsells 100% of the time. Give your advisors more time back to focus on what they do best. Get your service lane a kiosk that can do all this and more. It will truly enhance everything.
1: Welcome back to Weekend Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares is ready to take on the Chinese and everyone else in what he sees as a survival of the fittest shakeout emerging over the next decade. That's as the industry comes to grips with the warming planet. During a roundtable with journalists this week, Tavares says he estimates the industry has two to three years to bring the price of electric vehicles down to parity with internal combustion vehicles. By then, he says Chinese automakers will start making inroads in the U.S., presumably by assembling vehicles in Mexico, and put tremendous pressure on EV profits. They're already doing that in Europe. Here to talk about the state of the EV market and how legacy automakers are trying to establish their own place in it is Hannah Lutz, who covers electrification for Automotive News. Hannah Lutz, welcome to Weekend Drive.
3: Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, I'm so glad to have you here. I wanted you to join me because you cover the big picture of EV adoption and the whole electrification environment for us here at Automotive News. And this past week, I and a few other journalists uh, had the opportunity to sit with Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares, and he had some big ideas about EVs that I'd like to run by you, see how they line up with uh, what you've been hearing from your sources and, and your reporting.
3: Yeah, I love that from your coverage so far. It's, it sounded like there was a, a lot to glean out of that conversation.
1: Very dense conversation, for sure. So on the EV front, he you know, said the slowish pace of EV adoption you know, here in the U.S. Was, should really be expected, you know, at least until four you know, key issues are addressed, or as he likes to put it, all four stars are aligned, uh, renewable energy, ample public charging, good range, and affordable prices there will be some bumps
2: on the road as we are waiting for those stars to align. My part is to deliver the right product with the right affordability, clean, safe, affordable. That's my
1: part. And I thought it was interesting that he started with renewable energy. He explained that people who buy EVs really do so because they want to do right by the planet and only secondarily that it's a better car, that it's a better driving experience. Uh, But of course, if the EV is powered by renewable energy. You know it's very clean. If it's powered by you know coal, then it just doesn't make the same kind of progress toward carbon reduction.
3: Yeah, it wouldn't make that progress. But I wonder if that is sort of a, a European point of view. Um, a lot of sources for the U.S. market say that for EVs to be successful here, for people to want to buy them, you can't only market the the climate side of it. Like it needs to be a really good practical car, needs to look cool, be fun to drive. You have to have really all of that. And for many American consumers, the green impact is secondary.
1: That's very interesting. So the other one uh, that, that jumped out, you know, public charging, you've written a lot about that. Uh, to him, the issue is what you wrote about uh, pretty recently, availability. As he put it, the issue is the queue, right? Or waiting in line, uh, which can be potentially very stressful especially if it's you know bad weather you've got scheduling challenges and a, a low battery what's going on with that
3: Yeah so the charging infrastructure is still being built out there still aren't enough chargers for for everybody and it is really it can be super frustrating if you have to wait in line earlier this winter there were reports of tesla drivers waiting in line in the cold and they ha- their vehicles had to get towed because their their batteries died with the frigid temps so it definitely is a concern and probably will continue to be a concern for at least a while longer as Tesla opens its network to to other makes. But it's something that the industry and regulators are very aware of. There's a lot of investment going into building out the charging infrastructure and, and making it reliable.
1: Yeah. The way he put it is the the charging needs to be in your face. It needs to jump out at you everywhere you go. When you go to the store, when you go to the gym, if you go to the office or to a restaurant, there should be charging you know, basically everywhere. So we're a long ways from that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, we are. I mean, we're still, I think there's still a reputation of chargers being next to the dumpster, behind the target type of thing. I think (laughs) that is changing, but that's how they started. And there is, there's that perception.
1: But you've really, I mean, I don't want to, you know, give you too much credit, but you've really been leading I think a lot of the coverage, the fact that the chargers that are out there are often not reliable. Uh, that we've had a structure where people are compensated to build them, but not to keep them functioning. And then now, even when the reliability is getting better, then yeah, you've got these long lines, and and availability becomes an issue. And it's it's uh, hard enough of a challenge, you know, making some of the other adjustments to an EV life uh, when the weak charging network that's out there is not performing to its capability. It it really adds to the challenge for those folks.
3: Yeah, it definitely does, and. J.D. Power's latest numbers on uncharger reliability, which availability is tied into that, it showed um, 18% of attempts failed in the fourth quarter. And they told me that a big chunk of that was availability. So it's you know more people needing to charge and not being able to because either the, lo- the line is so long that it makes them drive away or yeah, I guess that, that would be the, the situation with the long line or you're, you're waiting forever and then have an
1: issue. So range is one. Of course, you know we talk a lot more about like charger anxiety than range anxiety these days, but it's still, it's all connected. I think a lot of people with, if the EV is their third car in the family, you know, probably don't need a whole ton of range. They probably drive 40 to 50 miles in a day anyway, but you know, everybody wants a car that can do everything. And, you know, they clearly, their viewpoint is 450 to 500 miles is the right kind of range. That's what they're going to do with their full-size pickup, which will not be cheap. And I think, you know, sometimes people may over time, you know, compromise some on range in order to have affordable prices uh, because, so much to have all the battery you need for that range then you're carrying extra weight which means you need even more battery it just is and the batteries are expensive so maybe a smaller battery a little more affordable range but what are you seeing in the market what are what's the thinking around the u.s these days
3: in terms of range i think you need both i mean the automakers many of them started with really high priced EVs that had a long range, like in the 400s, like you're saying with, with um, Stellantis, but we've seen more and more of them also saying that they need affordable vehicles, period, but also affordable EVs. So that, I mean, that requires a compromise that requires a shorter range a smaller battery, et cetera. And Tavares mentioned this in, in your story, the, the batteries that, is the key to everything the battery cell. So many of the automakers including Stellantis are getting very involved with the battery making sure it's the chemistry they want and that it's built with abundant materials so they won't be in a position where they're running out of a, a key material that they need or it's becoming too expensive. So there's there's really a lot that that goes into this.
1: Yeah, you think about scaling up from, you know, 8% or so, you know, now to you know 40 or 50 percent if you're using rare minerals the demand for those is going to go through the roof it's going to be very expensive and and volatile Stellantis, i think with with their current batteries they're making them through the uh, automotive cells company that they have with uh, mercedes-benz and saft a unit of total energy france i believe and um, but in addition they've invested in some battery startups that are looking at alternative chemistries. Factorial energy does solid state. Lighten uses lithium sulfur chemistry. And Tiamat is working on a sodium ion battery. So, you know, definitely some interesting things. They're trying, it looks like clearly, they're trying to have a portfolio of bets and hope that one or two of them really, you know, change the game.
3: Yeah, we don't really know yet what is going to stick. The whole industry is not, They haven't figured it out yet. They're not saying what they're using is the best at this point. And once they find the best thing, it's only going to be the best for so long. So (laughs) they're smart to invest in different types of chemistries and form factors. So they have experience really across the board as technology evolves and and the industry evolves.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of companies that are really banking on solid-state you know, it just seems like the, with the cost of the battery being what it is, the price to make EVs versus ICE vehicles is such that they just need a, a big jump or it's the opposite of a jump. They, you know, they need a big jump in density and power or a big reduction in cost to make the cars more at parity up front uh, so that then the savings that you have from not having to go to the gas station, not having to get your oil changed can really add up and make it a more compelling thing for consumers.
3: Right. And everyone's working on that. I mean, LFP is a good solution, um, shorter range, lower cost. So yeah, there's a lot in the works that, that hopefully should get the industry to where it needs to be in terms of affordability, while also, you know, enabling those higher power, longer range vehicles to sell and and add some, a little boost to the EV market.
1: Yeah, right, we're just still in such early days. The technology, right, in in 10 or 20 years, we're gonna look back and this is gonna look, you know, so primitive, the The charging, from the charging through the batteries. And like you said, it's going, The you know, the batteries will get better, probably several generations of battery improvement, just the way that powertrain engineers have made, you know, gas cars cheaper, cleaner, and more powerful over the decades. You know, the charging network, hopefully the renewable energy and uh, and all the problems get a lot of progress made You know, before the end of the decade when a lot of the rules get a lot tougher.
3: Yeah, that's for sure. And the rules even continue to evolve. We, we had reports this week of the emissions requirements potentially changing. So a lot to keep an eye on and to keep pace with.
1: Absolutely. Well, this will not be our last discussion on any of these matters. Hannah Lutz, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jamie. That's all for this Weekend Drive edition of Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer
2: for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on electrification,
1: manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a conversation with General Motors retired Vice President of Research and Development, Larry Burns, who says automakers must recognize the massive challenges and opportunities presented by emerging technologies. The biggest competitive threat to auto companies in the future are not another auto company. It's how is this maturing of digital technology shaping the things we do every day, and how is that going to change our need? to hop in a car and go somewhere if you enjoy the podcast remember to like leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode